Hey, everybody, it's Tommy Canale, and welcome back to Before the Lights podcast, the show that tells you how they made their mark. She was the 2020 L'Oreal Paris Woman of the Worth National Honoree, the founder of the Born to Run Foundation. She was a D1 lacrosse player that is now the face of the 2024 Paralympics. A USA Paralympian holding the U.S. record in the 100 meter, and she's also on the USA Paris snowboarding team. She was the first above-the-knee amputee on season 43 of Survivor. Our New Hampshire resident, please welcome to the show, Noelle Lambert. Noelle, welcome to Before the Lights. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You attended London Dairy High School, graduated in 2015, a three-sport athlete in soccer, basketball, the team MVP, two-time All-State lacrosse player, what was Noel's like outlook on life at that time? Um, you know, it's really funny. I was the type of athlete that coaches loved and hated at the same time because I'm a very competitive person. Um, you put me into any game scenario, I'll give it my all 100%. But when it came to practice, I never really tried. I was always <laughs> the type of athlete that would kind of be extremely lazy I would never put in any extra work in the weight room. I would hide. And I just, you know, I mean, I didn't really even realize this about myself, but I was just that type of person that never went above and beyond. Um, and to think, to think back on it and to think if I actually did put in that extra work, like where would I be now? Like, would I have played at one of the top division one programs in the country? So it's, I was that type of, I mean, I have three older brothers, so I was always competitive because of them. I was always trying to outwork them. Um, but, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you put me in a game, I mean, that's why I was able to earn myself a scholarship is because I'm very tough uh, physically and mentally, and I would just always give it my all. But when it really mattered during practice, in the time that I should have been putting in so much work, I really wasn't. I'm a former college basketball coach. So you're what I refer to as a gamer, turn the lights on yeah. and, and let you go. But in practice, you're going to get nothing out of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was always like, I mean, I had a great relationship with all my coaches, but I mean, they were just always like looking at me like, all right, Noel, like you actually need to do something today. <laughs> so then how did you get recruited to UMass Lowell? Um, I think, I mean, I put in the work like when I needed to. So when I was playing like club lacrosse um, and I was going to tournaments, it's all about um, kind of, you know, how you perform in front of the, in front of the, you know, recruiters during those types of tournaments in the summer. So I was playing extremely well. Luckily, I mean, I went, um, I played on Granite State Elite. They have an amazing program and they help all these girls play collegiate lacrosse. So I had an amazing support system to get me to where I needed to be. Um, and then UMass Lowell kind of came, uh, knocking at my door and I found out that they were going to be a newly division one program. So that kind of, I love that. Uh, I, I love, I love that about the university. I loved having, you know, being a part of a growing program. Um, and I fell in love with the campus instantly. I fell in love with the coach. Um, and it was, it was very simple actually. I mean, UMass Lowell was kind of, the, like the one and only school that I really like put all my marbles into. Um, and I'm so fortunate enough to have it work, work out. 
Did something then change for you? Because your freshman year, you started all 17 games. You tied for first on the team with 15 goals, second on the team with six assists. You scored a career-high four goals and one assist versus Manhattan. You're named to the American East all-rookie team. So did the whole out, did you change your the way you were looking at the sport then? Um, no, I, I didn't. I think I got worse. I think it got worse actually. Um, it was so funny because we would be in the weight room and I would be hiding like behind the door. Like I would, but it was so funny. Like we would do run tests. We would do run drills every single practice. And no, I it was never really first, but then there was this one run drill, run drill where they told us the first person to cross the finish line is done. They don't have to do it again. And I actually like, like came in first, killed everybody, and they were looking at me like, "All right, Noel, you just kind of screwed yourself because we know how fast you really are now." <laughs> um, but no, I really didn't realize it until after my accident, like type of player um, that I was, and that's really like what put me into like a kind of a funk, and it just really made me regret. And looking back, and just realizing that I went through the motions nineteen years of my life, um, that was really tough for me. The accident, 2016, first time you're on a moped that you rented at Martha's Vineyard. It changed your life. Explain to my listeners what happened. Yeah, so myself and one of my teammates decided that we wanted to go to Martha's Vineyard um, to just uh, visit one of our other friends. And we just kind of wanted to do like a big uh, last summer vacation. Um, and I'd never been to Martha's Vineyard before. And so when we got there, it was kind of like, um, we had no form of transportation. So I had never personally been on a moped before. And, um, my friend who was with me at the time, she has never, she had never been on one either. So I was like, okay, I'll drive. No biggie. Um, and then, so I mean, one minute we're on, we're on our way to the beach. It's a Saturday morning. It's beautiful weather. And then the next, moment I see a dump truck heading in the opposite direction as me. Um, and I kind of just instantly, uh, like I blacked that part out, but because of the weight distribution, because of uh, the main roads having so much sand on it, I just kind of veered left and lost control. Um, and then the next moment I remember just laying on the ground and lifting up my legs and just realizing that my left leg was completely gone. I was completely severed on the seat. And the first thing I thought of, it was, it was sports and it was because that's who I was. I mean, that's really, uh, what described me as a person. I really wasn't passionate about anything else other than sports. So I was thinking, I was laying there thinking that my life was going to be over and that I was never going to be able to walk again, let alone play sports. Did you realize then, Noel, at that time that your leg was going to have to be amputated or was it later? So at the scene, my everything it was completely severed. My left leg, it was completely severed. Everything below the knee, and so I was like asking people if they were going to be able to reattach it. Um, and then when I was in surgery, they ended up having to amputate. I uh, ended up having to take the knee because it was too mangled, and so that's how it became an above knee amputee. Um, so waking up the next day, I mean, I knew what had happened. I knew that my leg was was gone, um, and I think you know, that helped a little bit and it helped me realize like, okay, I already knew that my leg was, I mean, I think I would have reacted differently if they had to amputate my entire leg, like during surgery and then I had to wake up with it being completely gone. Um, but waking up the next day, that's really when the emotions set in. That's when I really started thinking, okay, what now? 
What were your steps back then to recovery? So um, I had to take my steps were, I mean, it was very, it was very, um, I, I trusted the process. I took my time. Um, I knew I had to get everything healed before I was going to be fitted for a walking leg. And so that took about two and a half months. And so I was, you know, I was crutching everywhere. I was driving myself back and forth to practice every single day to kind of be with my teammates, to show them the support that they showed me. And then I actually, um, when I was walking to my prosthetic office to get my running, I mean, my walking leg, I actually envisioned that I was going to get my running blade right then and there. And then I was going to be able to, you know, return to practice the next week and I'd be good to go. And then, so when I actually put my walking leg on and started walking with it, I had no idea how to use it. It's actually, it has a microchip, so I have to charge it every night. So I have sensors, I've put the correct amount of weight on it to bend. So that was really difficult. And then when I sat down and I was like, okay, where's my running blade? And that's when I <clears throat> learned that a specialized prosthetic, which is a running blade or a waterproof leg, they are not covered by insurance. Um, only your everyday walking leg is. So if I wanted to get a running blade, I was either going to have to apply to a foundation or I was going to have to pay for it myself. And they can range anywhere from ten to $30,000, wow. depending on what type of leg you want. Um, so I'm sitting there thinking... You know, I walked in feeling really great or crushed in thinking I really great. And then I was thinking, how am I going to come up with the money to raise this? Like, I, I don't have that type of money. Um, and that's when I started learning about all these amazing foundations out there that support amputees like myself. And so I applied to so many of them. I applied to a few and then I heard back from one, the Challenge Athletes Foundation. And they told me that they were going to grant me with a running blade, but it was going to be about a six month process. Um, so I knew returning to play my sophomore year was going to be impossible. And then when I did receive it, um, I mean, I put my running blade on. I was being, I was harnessed on a treadmill and I couldn't run for more than 10 seconds at a time because I was so out of shape. It was so uncomfortable. I had no idea how to use it. And I was just extremely embarrassed um, because, you know, I was telling everybody I was going to be able to return. I was expecting a lot out of myself and I didn't realize, you know, what was going to go into it. And so, you know, having the time to reflect when you're at practice and you're not able, you're not able to practice. That's when I started realizing like the type of player I was before my accident. That's when I started realizing that I just went through the motions. And so something inside me clicked and it just, I told myself, if I ever do get the chance to play again, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to, I'll practice three times a day, whatever it takes to get there. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I had an amazing support system for my coaches, my teammates. They were putting extra work in with me day in and day out. Um, they were never letting me use my amputation as an excuse or a reason not to do something. Um, and they were just, you know, they were showing me the tough love I needed and they were never treating me like somebody with a disability. Before we get you back to the time you got back on the field, how many different types of prosthetics do you have? So right now I have four, I have four different prosthetics. So I have my everyday walking leg, I have my running blade, and then I have my waterproof prosthetic because my everyday walking leg, because I have to charge it, I, it's not waterproof. And then I actually have a snowboarding leg as well. And during all this, did you reach out to a family member, uncle Vincent? Cause isn't he also an amputee to get any kind of support from him? Yes. Yeah, so when I was in the hospital, my uncle, um, he actually recently passed a couple years ago due to di uh, diabetes, but he was 
an incredible man. And he was kind of my role model from the beginning because he was the only amputee I knew in my life. And I just remember him walking in there in my hospital room and he's a jokester. And so he has a great sense of humor about it. He's cracking jokes with me and he's making me feel comfortable and confident. So having that and having him, it really did it made me realize, you know, I will be okay. And it made me realize that, um, I can have a positive outlook on this whole experience. And then I was fortunate enough to also have a lot of the Boston Marathon survivors mm. coming and visit me, coming in and visiting me in, my, in the hospital and reaching out to me. And, you know, hearing everything that they've gone through, I couldn't sit there and feel sorry for myself. Um, they were the ones telling me that I was going to be able to live the life that I want. Um, so that's when I started to believe them. And that's when I made a vow to myself that I really didn't want to look at accident define the rest of my life or define the person that I wanted to become because if they were sitting there telling me that I was going to be okay, then I, I needed to believe it. How long was it from the time of the accident to you got back on the field in any type of capacity Well, that was practice? So I started practicing, um, 11 or no, I started working out with a running blade 11 months after my accident. Um, I started practicing, I would say, you know, 13 months, and then when I returned to play, I think it was, um, I want to say it was 16, 17 months after my, a year and a half. And I was ready to play halfway through my junior season. I was ready to go. Talk about the emotions of scoring a goal in your first game back on the field. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, when I was running on the field and, you know, my coach told me to go in, I was. Instantly, I instantly started to panic. I'm that type of person to doubt myself with everything that I do. <laughs> um, but having the support from my teammates right there and having them, you know, encourage me and egging me on, that really made me feel comfortable, comfortable and confident. Um, and I just had to realize, use all the lessons that your coaches gave you. This is this is just an everyday that you're you're at practice. It's nothing different. Your teammates and your coaches are comfortable enough to put you on the field to help put them in a position to win this game. So you need to have, you need to be comfortable with it. Um, and you know, when I watched the video back, the best part about the whole video isn't me scoring. It's the reaction that I got from my teammates and my coaches and kind of sharing that whole moment with them because it really wouldn't have been possible without them. Um, if it was up to me, I would have quit probably day two. Um, but they were always the ones, never letting me quit, never letting me, they were always holding me accountable. Um, and just to be able to say, like I was the first above the NBC to play lacrosse, collegiate lacrosse. That is something that's really special to me because I want to pave a way for other amputees and make them realize that just because they're disabled doesn't mean they're incapable of doing something. All right. So now I got a question, Noel. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me about this background of this person that, hides behind the door in the weight room and did not want to practice, but she'll show up on game day. So how does that person get into sprinting and running? I'm a long distance runner and I know the time and effort you have to put into that. So to be able to become a sprinter and a runner, I know you have to put in the work. So how does that transition happen? Yeah. You know, I'm just a really stubborn person. Um, and I'm never satisfied with anything that I do. I'm always looking for, you know, something bigger and better to do. Um, but fun fact about me, I hated running. I hated everything to do with it. Me too. Um, 
Yeah. I <laughs> even, even after my accident, when I had to do run tests, I would try to use my prosthetics to get out of it. I'd be like, I have one leg. I'm not going to be able to keep up with you guys, but everyone would just laugh at me and say, shut up. Um, but I had the opportunity from somebody, a part of the Paralympic track and field world. They, they reached out to me and they said, Hey, have you ever thought about running track and field? And I was like, I hate running, but this is actually a really cool opportunity to represent my country and to go to the Paralympics, even if it's something that I'm not great at, like maybe it's something that I could get better at. Um, so that's kind of how it, it really just fell in my lap. Um, and I really just started training immediately. I try, I just showed up to the track. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I just signed myself up for the first track meet, um, that I saw. And then in May in 2019, you win a race in Arizona and then November of 2019, you break the U.S. women's record in Dubai with a time of 16:31 in a fourth place finish. What is what was that <laughs> feeling like? Of you all of a sudden, yeah, I'll take on sprinting and running and give it my all. To now, you're breaking records. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a huge testament to show who my teammates were when I was playing playing lacrosse. I mean, I didn't realize that I was getting myself prepared getting myself ready for, you know, sprinting the hundred meter when I was training every single day with people with two legs. I mean, every time I did a run test, I would have to, if I came in last, I would have to do 10 burpees. And then if they came in last, they would have to do 10 burpees because someone with one leg was beating them. So, <laughs> I mean, I was getting that tough love and I'm just a really competitive person. So if you put me on a line and you say, and then you say, ready, set, go, especially in a competitive nature, especially in a game-like uh, scenario, I'm going to give it my all. But um, I have to give the credit, um, especially in the beginning, to my teammates for lacrosse because they were the ones that helped me get there. And then when I was able to kind of find a track coach and find a teammate who was a baloney amputee and started getting my butt kicked every single day by her, that was preparing me. Um, and that was what was getting me ready for those moments. Are you then a determined person or are you more stubborn mindsetted? Um, I think a little bit of both. 50, <laughs> okay. 50. I'm more, maybe 70% stubborn. I'm just like that type of person that if you tell me I can't do something, I'm just going to want to do it even more. <laughs> and that's been my whole mindset of growing up. It's what made me a pain in the ass to deal with my poor parents. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's definitely, it's, it's, it's definitely just like the type of person I am where I'm just always, especially, I mean, when I look back at my accident now, like I am grateful for it. I'm so happy that it happened to me because it made me realize that I have to put in hard work to get places. And it makes me appreciate the hard work and the practice that it takes. And now I've become, I've actually become a real athlete where I can appreciate those things and I can understand that I need to put in that, I need to put in that work at practice. Off of that, what you just said, then interesting comment. Are you saying that your accident could have been the best thing that ever happened to you? I'm absolutely saying the accident is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, because not only did it change the type of athlete I was, it's, it's changed the type of person I am. And it's really made me think what's important in life and made me realize it. Noel, what are your daily challenges that somebody that, may not be familiar with somebody that's an amputee has to go through. I mean, honestly, I don't really have any more. I mean, I don't even think about being an amputee. It's crazy. I mean, you get so used to it, you get so accustomed to it and you don't even think about it. Um, 
I think the only time that I ever realize that I'm amputee and it humbles me is walking upstairs. That's about it. Mm. I mean, because <laughs> I can't bend my knee, uh, so I have to go like two at a time and take one step. So that's about the only thing. Everything else, I mean, I'm doing things now with my life that I never could have ever imagined, picture myself doing. I don't even think I would have been able to do it, any of it with two legs. So um, I honestly, you know, I'm never the type of person to say, you know, poor me. I hate. I hate the pity. I hate all of that, all of that, um, you know, people pitying me because I actually think I've become such a better person and I think I've honestly have been born to be an amputee. (laughs) I love your mindset. Absolutely love your outlook (laughs) on life. Let's talk about Born to Run Foundation provides young amputees with specialized prosthetics that allow them to lead fulfilling lives and pursue their athletic dreams. You've raised a million dollars and have given over 20 prosthetics. Where'd the idea come from? So when I was actually in um, college, Phil, and I was, I received my running blade and I received my waterproof leg from different foundations, seeing the work that the, that those foundations do for other amputees like myself, um, it really hit home with me and it really made me realize, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, And there can never be, too many foundations out there that support people. Um, so luckily I have an amazing family. I, uh, my amazing uncle and my amazing aunt, they were able to kind of in my, in my mother, they were the ones kind of getting everything set up, um, getting it clear by the IRS, getting it to be a legitimate nonprofit while I was a junior in college. So to be able to donate my first, uh, the, the foundation's first prosthetic when I was a senior in college, and to be able to kind of be in that room, it was to a little three-year-old boy and we were giving him a running blade and to kind of see his reaction, his family's reaction, I, it just hit home with me. And it just, it was a full circle moment because I was that person just wanting to receive, you know, a specialized prosthetic to live the life that I want. And so to be able to finally gift it and to see their reactions. It was just so amazing. And it just, I mean, it was, so, it was a very emotional day just because I'm, I want to be part of, I want to be part of his life now. And I want to, I want to see him succeed. And I want to every, with every donation that we do, I want to be a part of their experience. I want to be a part of their journey because for me personally, I wouldn't be where I am today without multiple foundations, without multiple mentors of mine. So <clears throat> to be able to give it back, that's something that I'm extremely proud of. Outstanding. I give you a big applause for that. And I hope you nothing but success. Also with this Born to Run Foundation, as I said in the opening, you are the 2020 L'Oreal Paris Woman of Worth National Honoree. I know the answer, but I want you to tell my listeners who surprised you with the news on the TV show Extra tonight. Oh my God, you're going to kill me when I forget. <laughs> I know her face. I know the actress. I'm just terrible with names. It'd be Hel- um, Helen Mirren. Yeah. Sorry. Helen Mirren. So I'm actually, I'm a huge fan of her. I am a movie, but like I, I love movies, but I'm just, I mean, I'm the same way with music. Like I know every single song, every single country song I know, I just never know who sings it. Um, but yeah, so we, it was actually, I forget what day it was, but I think it was the night that the voting was closing or the day after. And they, when she popped up on the screen and she said, you're, you're the national honoree. I didn't, I didn't even hear her say it. I was, I was so, um, blown away. And I was, I think I was in shock 
And then I immediately just screamed to my mom. <laughs> and I was just like, um, I think I just won. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it just, it's, it's a huge test. I mean, the L'Oreal pair, I mean, what they do every single year, I mean, is incredible. They, they find amazing and inspiring women to, to donate money to their, them and their charities. I mean, it's, it's so special and it just comes to show that the amazing support system that I have, um, and you know, having people vote for me in the foundation, that was just, it was such a special moment. Um, and honestly, it, it was the time when COVID was happening. So we were, you know, as a foundation, we weren't able to have any fundraisers. So we weren't able to make any donations. So when we received that, I mean, we were able to make three donations just from that alone. And now she's back to being prevalent. Not that Helen's never been not prevalent, but now she's back on the screen with Harrison Ford in the new show, 1923. I, know, I just saw that. I'm obsessed with Yellowstone. Yes, you know, me too. My boyfriend saying we need to watch the other one. <laughs> yeah, 1923 is fantastic. Do you remember, Noelle, what you received for being that honoree? Yeah, so I received um, $25,000 along with the additional um, 10000 So the foundation did. So that was $35,000 total, and it was just, it was incredible. Love that. Make a difference with free as a tea. Did you know one in five Americans will experience a mental health challenge every year? Free as a tea is giving the gift of good. For every t-shirt purchased, $5 will be donated to the Mental Health Coalition to support mental health resources for the millions of people who need them. Plus, for every purchase, one shirt is donated to someone in need. Free your mind and shop with a cause. Buy one, give one for $45 and learn more about us and our mission at freeasatea.com or click the link in the show notes. Make a difference, one tea at a time. Happy tea time. March, 2021. How does somebody, or were you always into snowboarding, but how did you get onto the USA Paris snowboarding team? So I had never snowboarded in my life. Um, <laughs> my boyfriend uh, is a big snowboarder. He, he's a great snowboarder. So he kind of kept telling me, hey, you should try this. Like it's, you sh And I, I was like, all right, it looks fun, something to do. And I was actually, I mean, it's crazy because I picked up snowboarding. I don't know, what was it, five or six months before the Tokyo Paralympic Games. So it wasn't the smartest idea of mine <laughs> to start a brand new sport. And potentially, so my coach wasn't too happy, my track coach. But um, once I kind of learned how to do it and learned how to actually get down the mountain without falling, um, then I, you know, put it on hold and then I went to Tokyo. Um, and then when I got back, I was, I was like, okay, now I want to put all my, all my marbles in, um, in snowboarding. And then, so Amy Purdy, the double baloney amputee, who's a Paralympic snowboarding medalist, her and her husband have a foundation that support, um, amputee athletes, uh, that want to, uh, pursue snowboarding competitively. So I reached out to them and, uh, my boyfriend and I packed the car and we drove out to Colorado and we were staying there for a month and a half. And then I just decided, okay, why not compete? Why not throw myself into it? It's the best way to learn. Um, and I was able to qualify for my first world chance. I mean, I got my ass kicked. Um, I, I came in fourth out of four people, but I knew that that season, it was going to be only meant for, you know, me learning to get better. And I mean, for me to be able to compete against the best of the best, of the best um, 
that was really, really special because I'm, I'm watching them and I'm learning from them. So that was really important for me. I love how you just throw yourself into things and go, let's just see how this works out. If I finish last, who cares? (laughs) I'll learn. I'll figure it out as I go. But I love the way you do that. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. I'm in. I mean, I just say yes to everything now. I mean, it's (laughs) it's a blessing and a curse. (sighs) Season 43 of Survivor. How did you get casted? So, I mean, um, I've been actually a big fan of the show for a very long time. My mom is the biggest diehard Survivor fan there is. I've never met a season, never missed an episode. That's, that's me as well. Yeah. She was telling me for years, you know, you got to try to get on the show. And I was, I was kept telling her, mom, I've, I've never seen an above knee amputee on the show before. I've seen two below knee amputees, but we are entirely different. I mean, I'm a lot more high maintenance. Um, and it was so funny when I was in Tokyo for the Paralympic Games, I received a DM on Instagram and it was from the head casting director. And he just said, hey, like, and he introduced himself. He's like, have you ever thought about being on Survivor? And I was just like, this is a scam. This isn't, this isn't real. <laughs> and then so, like, I, I messaged him back. And then he gave me his phone number. And he's like, he's like, give me a call. If you don't believe me, give me a call. So called him, found out it was real. And I'm like, okay. And then I, I told him, I was like, you realize I'm an above the amputee, right? And he was like, we don't care. Like, <laughs> We love to see people with these types of challenges, these types of stories, like want to see people overcome it. Um, so they just kind of threw me into the whole application process. So I had to, I created a video and then it was so funny because I was actually going through my whole application process while I was traveling for snowboarding and all the competitions for snowboarding are out in Europe. So, I mean, it was 11 o'clock one night. I was in Netherlands and they told, they tell us like every single phone call you get, every single FaceTime, just answer it. So I get a FaceTime and I'm like, okay, I got to answer this. And I pick up the phone and then it's Jeff Probe, just Jeff. Like it's nobody else. It's just him. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, why is it so dark there? Like he was, it, cause he's in LA and I was like, well, I'm actually here competing for snowboarding. I'm in Netherlands. Like I'm telling, and then he's like, I thought you were a track and field athlete. I was just like, yeah, now I've, uh, I, I want to be a dual sport athlete. And like I was telling him. And so every single round, you just want people to love you. You want people to like you. And then you make it to the next round. So out of a five to 10 minute FaceTime call, I got Jeff to like me. And then, I mean, I thought in the back of my head that I wasn't going to get casted. I was like, they're going to come back and say they found someone else. So I wasn't really taking it. I mean, I was taking it seriously, but I wasn't really believing it, believing it. And then about a month and a half, I think it was like at the end of February, um, I got a call, like I got a text from the head casting director. He's like, hey, can I give you a call for a sec? And I expected, like, if I was going to get casted on the show, it was going to be a big deal. Like, they were going to be like, hey, join this Zoom at this time and, like, with all the producers. Like, so I was just like, he's calling me to let me know that I'm not going to be on it. Um, so I called him. He's like, hey, how are you? I'm like, I'm great. Just kind of stuck in my house. There's a blizzard out right now. Um, and then he, all he says was, was, well, do you want to leave the blizzard and go to Fiji because you're on season 43 of Survivor? <laughs> I mean... To say I wanted to be excited, I mean, to say I was excited would be a lie. I was scared shitless. I was scared to death. I, I, I'm, my boyfriend was sitting right next to me and I looked at him and I was just like, I don't think I can do this. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And 
I mean, I'm acting like, I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. I hang up the phone and I'm scared to death. I'm like, how? I'm like, why did I just do this to myself? And for the whole month and a half, leading up to this whole, like leading up to me leaving, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I would wake up in a panic, just thinking, how am I going to be able to do this? I am an amputee. How am I going to be able to do these challenges? How am I going to do the eating? How am I going to sleep on bamboo? Like I was... To say I was excited, I mean, that would be a lie, honestly. Uh, but I kept telling myself, I have to do this for the representation of the disabled community. I have to do this for the amputees out there. And I have to show everybody, and I have to show the world that just because I am an amputee, it doesn't mean I'm incapable of doing it. And I wanted to prove myself. And it's also really cool being able to say you, you've done Survivor, like arguably mm-hmm. one of the hardest reality TV shows. I wanted to do it. Um, so I remember having to call my prosthetist and to let him know that I was doing the show. And a lot, what everybody doesn't realize is I have to think about, you know, the type of leg I want to use. I have to think about the weight loss because when I lose weight dramatically, that means my leg is losing weight and my leg is held on due to suction. Mm. So if I lose weight, my leg loses weight and then it's not going to stay on. So we work, I mean, every week I was there up until the time I had to leave and I was, we were coming up with all these different things. Luckily the production, the whole, the whole, um, the whole crew, they said, whatever you need, we got you. Don't stress about it. So they let me bring a waterproof leg and then they let me bring a running blade. Um, and I just remember, you know, coming up with all like my game plan, my whole strategy, like, what am I going to do? What am I not going to do? I just had to be well-liked because if I'm not well-liked, they're going to be like, all right, easy vote, bye. So I knew I had to prove myself in the beginning. I was scared to death. I was just like, how are people going to look at me? How are people going to, it was a whole thing. I mean, it was so funny because I just went, uh, we had to go to LA for quarantine. Then we had to fly to Fiji and I was just in LA and I, last week and I passed the hotel that we were staying at and I had instant PTSD. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Noel, before we get to the reward challenge, that was a big moment for you on the show. Just being there, what kind of feeling of accomplishment did you have for yourself of just actually being in the game? You know, it's so crazy because like, you're literally thinking day by day. Like I just need to make, I just need to make, tomorrow you're like you never want to think too far ahead because then that means okay you're you're probably getting voted off um and you think you're, like if you think you're in a comfortable position then you're not playing the game i mean but everybody's different everyone plays a different way um so it was crazy because two days before i left they sent us an email saying if you do not make the jury if you do not make the merge you will be flying home on this date and so I, to be able to tell my mom and my boyfriend listen if you do not hear from me or if you don't hear from uh, production by this date, that means I made it to the merge. I made it to the jury. Um, so like every single day, I'm like, oh, my God, they haven't heard anything. They're probably <laughs> freaking out. But it was, um, you know, being out there. What a lot of people don't realize is you become a family with your castmates because what, like 95% of the stuff that we talk about, the stuff that I say, it doesn't get aired on national television. Right. I mean, it makes sense. They have to put everything. So like you have so many genuine conversations with everybody and you got like, the, like us as a cast, we're helping each other get through the whole experience. Um, the eating part actually wasn't as bad as I thought 
because I actually starve myself before going out there and only <laughs> eat once a day for the whole month and a half before to kind of get my body prepared. Um, but yeah, only eating coconut for that first um, eight days. That was the only thing that was going into my body was wild. And it was just like, it was an accomplishment. You feel like, oh my God, I can't wait to tell, I can't wait to tell people I did this. Um, but it was really cool. And, it, and I had, I mean, I loved every single person. I mean, especially on the Vessi tribe, I wasn't doing any of those challenges by myself. So to kind of have them helping me through it, that was incredible. Um, and it was just, it was, it just kind of makes you realize that you go through like a whole experience. And you go through like a lot of different things and it just makes you grateful for it. The reward challenge that you came from behind to win after having difficulty at getting over the balance beam. How long did it take you to get over that balance beam? (laughs) Um, I think a good 25 to 30 minutes, Uh, maybe 20, 25 minutes on the balance beam for a very long time. And what was the temperature? Well, how hot was it outside? Oh, it's like a hundred degrees. Like the sun is beaming on you. And it's just, it's so funny because I walked into that challenge and like you get to, and then I see a balance beam and I'm like, well, I'm not winning this. Um, <laughs> I, I was like, there's no shot I'm winning. I was like, hopefully like, hopefully someone can bring me on this amazing reward because I didn't even think about who I was going to bring. I was like, there's no shot I'm winning. So um, but you know what? Like, I'm so happy that they included the balance beam in a challenge like that, because the last thing I wanted was for people to be like, Oh, they modified the challenges because they didn't modify anything for me. They, they did. I, and I was so appreciative of that. And I wanted the tough challenges and I wanted to do hard things to kind of prove it to myself and to everybody else that I can't do it. So when I was just trying to get across it, I mean, I was trying every single way possible. Um, and I was about to quit. I was about to be like, and, done. but then I heard, I heard people cheering for me and I heard like my castmates cheering for me. And I think it was Carla, Carla, when she said like, let's go Noel. And at that point in the game, I, I wasn't working with Carla at all. Um, I mean, we were, we had genuine conversations, but we were never working together. So to hear her kind of cheer for me, that lit a fire under my ass. And I was just like, okay, I need, I need to at least get across this. I was what, like, if I get across this, it'll be good. <laughs> was sweat an issue then with your leg for that? So yeah, once I, not when I was on the balance beam, once I got over the balance beam, had to untie those knots. And then what you had to do is you had to throw the sandbag on top of that platform. What it showed on TV is I got it on my second try. I didn't get it on my second try. That's, that's insane. I mean, but they have to cut it up because of timing and everything. Right. Everyone else probably threw it probably over a hundred times. I would say I threw it like 20 to 30 times. And so every time you miss, you have to run back and forth. So with the heat and with me losing weight, I'm running back and forth. So I'm holding my leg on at this point. And I am just like, I'm, I mean, Jeff points it out. He's like, are you losing like your prosthetic? And I'm just like, I'm losing weight. I'm, I mean, I'm losing traction. I'm sweating. Like it was to the point, like I, I was taking my time on each throw because I couldn't, I was going to have to take it off and hop. So I just remember when I threw it and then I stuck it and then instantly just all these emotions came to me. I mean, it was, it was a real, it really reminded me of the moment when I was returning to play lacrosse again. Um, and to kind of have my, the entire cast like come over and hug me. That was so special. But I always say this, like, I think I 
was also starting. I was crying also because I didn't want to make the biggest decision of having to choose people to come on this reward with me. I didn't want to do it. Mm. I was, I instantly, like I had a good cry for about 30 seconds. And then I was like, holy crap, I'm going to have to make these, (laughs) I'm going to have to make these decisions and people are staring at me. Everyone's starving. I have no idea I'm going to do this. It was one of the best moments of the show from the reward standpoint to see you just fight through all this adversity and then get to the end. I wasn't just for me. I didn't even care if you won or not. I was just like, just get to the end. Then when you won, it just really made it even that better. (laughs) I was like, just get across this beam. Then I'll be like accomplished. I don't even care about anything else. (laughs) Right. It was so cool. It was so cool. And it was special that it was on my vote off episode. I mean, it was a roller coaster of emotions, but it really was the best way possible to go out. Um, and it's just, it was crazy because I had a, I had a huge watch party like the night before Thanksgiving. I had a huge watch party and nobody was expecting me to go home. Like, I am, so <laughs> it was just, it was a cherry on top getting to kind of spend it with my loved ones and everything. So, but it was, I mean, I, I, I went out in the best way possible. I mean, I received nothing but love from fans and the whole community. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm just extremely grateful for it. How long did it take for you to recover after you got home? Well, the funny thing is, is the deal with my track coach that I made because he was on the verge of almost killing me because when I started snowboarding and then I was, and I started, I I stopped competing for track and then I came back and was practicing for a month. And I was like, okay, coach, I'm actually going on a national television (laughs) show right now. And he was just like, what is going on? Why, like, why are you doing this to me? Uh, he's like, okay, you can go on Survivor, but you have to, um, you have to compete in nationals when you get home. So when I got home, I had one week to train for nationals in Florida. And I mean, my body, I mean, my legs weren't fitting. I mean, I got my ass kicked at nationals. I knew that it was going to happen. Um, but it took a while. I would say like, Physically, it didn't take me as long, but like mentally, just like you go through this whole experience and then you think everyone's lying to you and you talk like everybody, you spend <laughs> however many days and everybody's lying to you. So like every time you see people having a conversation, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you talking about me? Um, but the, I mean, it's crazy too, because you can't talk about it on social media. You can't admit to it like that you were on the show until the, until CBS announces it. And it was the beginning of the summer and they weren't announcing it until September. So you really have to rely on, you know, your family and you have to rely on your castmates during that time because they're the only ones that basically know everything. Um, and so it was really special to kind of have the whole cast. I mean, we, we tried to get together a couple of times, so that was really cool. It just makes you, it makes you grow and it makes you get a lot closer. When did you film that season? So I actually, we filmed it, um, April 22nd. I left. And I believe we got to Fiji like May, maybe April 28th. Um, and then we, I got home on Memorial, uh, Memorial Day weekend. Okay. So it wasn't too long that you had to wait until the season aired. You said your mother is a huge fan and seen every season, every episode, as a lot of us, including myself, have. But yeah. how much were you able to tell your own mother beforehand? So... Everyone in my family, all three of my brothers, my parents, my boyfriend, they all signed NDAs. So if I wanted to tell them, I could tell them. Okay. The only person I told everything to was my boyfriend. I didn't even tell my mom. Uh, 
just because I kept telling her, I'm like, I want you to experience it. You're a huge fan of the show. Like, it'll be better for you to watch. Um, and so, I mean, her knowing that I made the jury, like, it helped. It did help her a lot. I mean, I feel like if she didn't know if I made the jury or not, she would be hounding me a lot more. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, so she, it was crazy because she was, like, figuring everything out. And I had no, because our season was the first season in a really long time that it wasn't spoiled on like reddit on like uh on the survivor fan pages like right typically the season spoil like season 44 i already know everything that happens in season four which is crazy because it's all spoiled right so, um it was crazy because i was like how are you figuring this stuff out like she was she knew everybody that went home pre-merge like i told her that but then she was just like and so i actually told her everything the week before my vote off episode week or two before i was I was like, I would rather have you know. And she could kind of sense it because, like, I was like, let's do this huge watch party. Let's do this. like, And so, I mean, she knew everything. And then I didn't tell her who, who won for a little bit. And then the week before the finale, I ended up telling her who won. Um, so, but it was it was actually really enjoyable to hold a secret to everyone. It's a lie. Like, it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Trust me, my friends... They try to get it out of me so many times. <laughs> <laughs> would you go back again? Oh, absolutely. I would love to go back, especially knowing everything I do now. I mean, I feel like if you, I mean, it's a blessing to get that experience uh, given to you once. And if you, if you were to have it handed to you again, you have to take it no matter what. But I don't know. I have a lot of competition for other returnees, so I don't know if I'd be asked to play again, but... <laughs> <clears throat> it's it was a really cool experience. Going to make a complete switch. Tell me about the relationship between you and your service dog Bailey. Oh my god, this is actually so funny. So when I actually moved out of my house, um, out of my parents' house, and I bought a place with my boyfriend, I was not allowed to bring my dog with me. <laughs> really? Um, it was my yeah because you know my parents. It was my parents' dog. It wasn't my dog. So the funny thing is, is when I moved out, I mean, I love Bailey. I, I, he's still my number one dog. He's still, you know, my heart, but I actually got a new dog <laughs> um, and I got a full size golden doodle. And so he is now my emotional support animal. Um, so I have two. So but you have Bailey and what's the other one's name? His name is Ollie. Ollie. And he's very spoiled. He loves to come to the track with me. He loves, <laughs> he loves all that. So it's, it was so, it was so heartbreaking. I wanted to bring him with me, but he was just, a, he was attached to my parents. It makes sense. Yep. Poor dog. I mean, he has his own, <laughs> own health issues. He needs his own service dog. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's the best possible. I mean, I still get to see him all the time. I still, they have puppy play dates. So that's nice. <laughs> What's on the future for you? What's next? Um, so I got world championships coming up uh, this summer for track. And I got snowboarding in the horizon for, you know, Milan 2026. But I got Paris 2024 for track. So that's kind of my main goal right now. Who knows? If I ever get asked to do another reality TV show, I would <laughs> love the opportunity to do it. Listeners, keep your eyes peeled for Noelle Lambert to show up on your screen, either in the USA Paralympics, reality TV. Who knows what she might do? Just keep your eyes open. <laughs> You'll probably see her. Noel, thanks so much for taking some time and coming on the show, talking about your accident, your journey, and inspiring others. 
This is what it's all about. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful to talk to you. And thank you for helping share my story. I, I truly appreciate it. You are welcome. Listeners, go to the show notes. I'm going to put some links where you can get connected with Noel and make sure you follow me on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, everybody, a salute, a chin chin. Mm-hmm. <laughs>